Stories on Media. This is Coming Out Stories. It's a podcast about one of the most important conversations of your life. I'm Emma Goswell. Time now to hear from a gay man who ended up eventually getting married by a rabbi and a high pagan priestess. You're going to hear now from the author, Lev A.C. Rosen. I was 12 or 13. I went to a very small school for grade school. There were only 18 kids in my entire grade. Okay, where was this? Uh, in New York City. This is in okay. downtown Manhattan. Um, and it was it was kind of experimental. It was a little weird. Uh, um, <laughs> what, what year are we talking? It, it would have been the 90s. A classmate of mine, he just sort of asked, he's like, are you gay? It's cool if you are. I'm just wondering. And this is someone, you know, I'd grown up with because there are only... There are only 17 other kids in my grade. Mm. And I turned to him and I was like, I don't know. Because I'm 12. <laughs> yeah, I, like it had never occurred to me. Uh, and and certainly before then, like I knew I, was, I wasn't hanging with the guys in the same way that most of them were. But it was such a small community, you know, and everyone had grown up together. And there were only 18 of us. It didn't feel like I was ostracized in any way. I was just sort of the weird kid. Um and that was fine. Like and I was I was the artsy kid, you know? And so when he asked me that I was like, huh. And I don't remember if it was like that night, although that would have been hilarious. But sometime around that year I also had a a adult dream. <laughs> oh, did you? Yes, about a classmate, and it was one of the classmates I didn't even like. It's not the one who I like went on to have a crush on for two years. Um, then I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess so, fine. So and, your subconscious told you before yeah, you Yeah, I know. And yeah. so I was like, all right, I guess that kind of makes sense. And I didn't really like do anything with it just because, you know, it was, it was a small school and it didn't really feel like anything I needed to do anything with at the time. I was still like 12, 13. I wasn't really interested in dating quite yet. It wasn't really high on my to-do list. There's very few people that come out and know when they're at like 11 or 12. I mean, yeah. it does happen, but it's quite rare. Yeah. yeah. And so um, then I move on to high school. It's a different high school. It's a much bigger high school, a couple hundred kids in my grade. And I, I make friends. And a few months into my freshman year, of high school, we're sitting around and I say something to the effect of, well, you know, I think everyone has a certain amount of bisexuality in them. And one of my friends turns to me and goes, no, Lev, you're just gay. And I said, all right, that's true as well. And that was it. That was like my coming out. Thank you. I'm done. Goodbye. Like, <laughs> that was a short one. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, yeah. But so, but did you know that in yourself, though, even though you hadn't, you hadn't had a relationship, you just knew that you yeah, were Yeah, it was just like... All right, that makes that makes a certain sense. I certainly had had, you know, by a few months into freshman year, so at that point, that age group is 15. So okay. 15, you know, by then I'm starting to have crushes on people. So when she said to me, no, you're just gay, I was like, all right, well, this is my life now. And by then I had I had a queer friend by then. Um, she and I went on to be presidents of the Gay Straight Alliance together. Like, And it was wow. a liberal high school in New York City. It was not the safest environment in the world. I don't know what that would be. I don't think a truly safe environment really exists for queer people in high school. But um, in terms of like the whole world, you were in quite a good place. Yes, to be I out. was in a I was in a very safe, you know, accepting place. My friends had no problem with it. Certainly there were other people in the school who had a problem with it, but they weren't anyone I was friends with anyway. And if, the, you know, I think one guy spat at me once and 
and called me a fag. And I was just like, whatever. Like, I just kept walking because what are you supposed to do in that situation? So it didn't it didn't affect you? It didn't upset you too much? No, not really. It was, like I said, I was already the weird kid. And, you know, coming into a larger school and then being like, yes, I came from an experimental grade school with only 18 kids in my grade. Like, and I was the weird kid of those 18. Mm. Like, I became very weird in high school. God. Um, so already I wasn't friends with the, the folks who were going to like have an issue with me coming out. But even if they had a huge issue, the school would have probably defended me to a degree. So I felt relatively safe. So were there quite a few other kids that were out then as LGBT? Um, uh, there were not many men who were out, hmm. but there were several women. There was one guy the year above me who I was never that close with. There was my friend's girlfriend, and then there were many women who identified as bisexual. Okay. Uh, and by many, I mean, you know, seven or eight. <laughs> well, that's quite a lot to be out of school. I know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And later, when I was a senior, when I was 18, uh, 17, 18 in school, then there were a few who were younger than me, uh, you know, some guys who I'm still friends with who were out. By the time I graduated, by the time I was done with high school, certainly there were a decent amount of queer people in the school. And then I went on to Oberlin, where uh, uh, I had a to where, sorry? Oberlin for college. It's, Where's that? It's in Ohio, but, okay. but bear with me. Um, one of my teachers in high school, she's a queer artist named Nancy Freed. She is one of the, the best people I've met, I think. She was just so out there and like supportive of all the queer students in high school and when I told her I was going to Oberlin she was like ah yes the gay mecca that's what she called it is it really it's a, a supposedly 30 to 40 percent of the student population identifies as queer in Ohio yeah it's, you? A, it's this small very liberal college in Ohio it was I think the first college uh, to integrate to admit black women it has a history of very progressive policies you go to college there it's like all right I am one of many. <laughs> so it wasn't a big deal at all? Yeah, no, not okay, at all. Okay, so it sounds like your, your friends and your colleagues and your classmates were totally cool. What about family? Uh, family was generally cool. I didn't... I just didn't want to have that conversation with anyone, you know. My brother... My brother was funny. I told my brother when I was in high school, I have a little brother, and he was like, mm -mm, you can't know that till you're 18. And so he's like five years younger than me, so he would have been like 10 when I told him, 10 or 11 when I told him, no, you can't know that till you're 18. And so, of course, I came out to him again when I was 18, and he got so mad at me for doing that. He's like, I know. What are you doing? I'm like, you told me I couldn't know till I was 18. You brought this on yourself. <laughs> and I like tried to make it very heartfelt. Like... Yeah. Did he accept it, though? Oh, yeah. He had no problem with it. My parents, I didn't really, you know, the whole idea of coming out, and I still believe this, and I believed it then, it feels like, you know, such an unfair burden. It's really because we or live- for in, you or for them? For every queer person ever, and mm. for straight people to a degree. I think it's just unfair that we live in a society where, like, heterosexuality is seen as the norm, and if you're going to deviate from that, you have to be like, by the way, let me, like, put up this placard and let you know so that we can, like, have an... So I never officially, like, had a little sit-down conversation, but after my first year of college, my mother was driving me somewhere, I don't remember, but I was talking about a guy I dated. Like, that's how I did it. I was just like, uh, this guy broke up with me, and I was, I was sad about it, so I was talking to my mom, and she, she said to me, you know, Lev, when I had two boys, I thought I would uh, be able to avoid this. But let me tell you something that my mother told me. 
men are scum. <gasps> no! <laughs> and then I asked her, I was like, Dad knows, right? And she said, your father's not stupid, Lev. <laughs> <laughs> oh so God. that was that was coming out to the family at large. But it was quite a small incident then, I guess. It wasn't, it, yeah, like you say, no. you didn't get the placard up, you didn't have a big uh, mum I, guard. I, I got, got to do it exactly the way I wanted to do it, which yeah. I am eternally grateful for. I didn't have to make a big deal out of it. So um, just in conversation? Yeah, and that's exactly kind of how I think it should be in an ideal world. Like, mm. oh yeah, like I'm interested in this guy. Okay, who cares? Like I'm interested in a girl, I'm interested in a guy, whatever. That is exactly how it should be. Yeah. Unfortunately, it isn't that for a lot of people, which is why I wanted to do this podcast. Yeah, I mean, no, some and I think it's a great idea, and I think it's like such a cross section of queerness. Yeah, but that's it. I mean, I've spoken to people who've had terrible times, and their family have never spoken to them ever again. You oh, know, yeah. so it's I good am... to get the positive stories. As yeah, well. no, I am super lucky. Uh, <laughs> but again, born and raised in New York City, there's a lot of advantages there in terms well, of yes. So yeah. New York and Jewish. Um, yeah. Were your parents very religious, or was that ever oh, an issue? My, uh, I had a weird religious upbringing. My family, Jewish, very reformed, mm. which it's sort of an American thing uh, in Judaism. There's like degrees of how religious you are. Yeah. And reform is very like non-religious, very cultural. You know, you view Judaism as more of sort of a, a racial background than a religious one. Okay. And then there's conservative, which is more religious and then orthodox, which is extremely religious. And so we were very culturally Jewish, but I, we didn't go to temple at all. Okay. And then so you I didn't have a rabbi to tell no yeah. except then i turned 11 and my parents are like oh we got to get him bar mitzvah mm -hmm. which is the thing you do when you're uh if you're a boy when you're 13 and you see the yeah, sort of coming of age thing yeah. yeah and so they're like all right let's join a temple and there were two temples nearby and they chose the orthodox one oh. <laughs> so in my home life very reform it's not a big deal in my religious education, all of a sudden, I am going to an Orthodox temple. And that's like, that's a curtain down the middle of the temple to separate the men from the women so that you don't have impure thoughts while praying. And at this point, I'm That just, didn't help, help Yeah, I was you. like, just wrap me in a sheet and throw me in the back. Like, what is happening? And so that was a little weird. And, and did, they, um, did they ever mention homosexuality? Oh, though? yeah. Uh, Yom Kippur, which is our uh, Day of Atonement. Mm. Um, it comes right before the New Year. Uh, I remember the rabbi one year talking about how homosexuals' names weren't written in the Book of Life, which is essentially like saying they're going to hell. So that wasn't a great experience. And once I did corner him and I did, you know, full on ask him, like, what what is the issue with homosexuality? And he he's a nice man. And he said to me, well, you know, the thing is that homosexuality is immature because it's your responsibility to have children. And so what? And, and that's so much of it, you know, so much of Judaism and its issue with homosexuality is the idea that you're not using sperm to make babies. That's mm. really sort of like a lot of the underlying issue. And that was his underlying issue. And that's how he explained it to me. And I thought it was nonsense. So that you didn't internalize that or worry about it. Then. Yeah. It's like even if I were straight, it's not like I would be planning to have 12 kids or anything. My relationship to Judaism certainly was a little more uh, for a while. It wasn't perfect. But I think that may have also just been going from this reform to this orthodox environment and like not having a an in-between space where I really got to appreciate the culture because an orthodox temple, most of the prayers are in Hebrew, which I don't speak fluently. You know, there's a lot of 
aspects to prayer that aren't explained to people who come in and aren't Orthodox because they've been explained to these Orthodox people from the very beginning. Ah, uh, okay. And so I, I didn't understand a lot of it. So you're um, already a bit ostracized. I don't know if ostracized is the word, but I felt, going back to that veil down the middle, I felt like there was a veil between me and this version mm. of Judaism. And since then, my parents have joined a reform synagogue and everyone's much happier. And they're happy with the gays. Yeah, yeah. I had a gay rabbi do my wedding and everything. Oh, oh you got married. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. My, my husband is not Jewish, but we had a rabbi, a priest, and a high pagan priestess. Whoa. Yeah. It Covering was, all bases. It was a it was a. Fun, fun wedding, I think. That, that uh, sounds quite a New York affair. Though. <laughs> Let's go through that again. A rabbi, a priest, and a what? Sorry. A high pagan priestess. A high pagan yeah. priestess. It sounds like the beginning of a joke, right? They're walking <laughs> into a bar. <laughs> that's actually... Yeah, that's our wedding. It's a joke. <laughs> oh, that sounds like a wonderful occasion. Oh, it was a great wedding. Yeah, no, uh, it was it was beautiful right on the water in lower Manhattan and everything. And the rabbi is a little weird, but he was a good guy. And then um, the priest, she is an openly lesbian priest, uh, and it's Episcopalian. She's, like, since gone on to become... I don't entirely understand how the tiers of religion, but she's very important in some way. You have to write your names in this book that the church has had since forever mm. and ever. And we were the second queer couple in that book, the first male queer couple in the book. Yes. So that was pretty exciting. Making history in Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, now, sometimes I talk to people about coming out at work as well, because it's relevant for some people. But essentially, you work on your own, quite isolated, because you're a writer. Yeah. Author of um, um, Jack I mean, of I've had a lot of, a lot of odd jobs. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, working on my own as a writer, it's never been too big a deal. Obviously, it influences my work a lot, mm. and I've never tried to hide it. I wasn't married when my first book came out, so I couldn't put husband in my bio, but it's in my all my bios now. I've seen it. It says you live in Low Manhattan with a small cat. Yeah, we have a really small cat. She's got short, stubby legs. <laughs> well, you have to. You live in Manhattan. All <laughs> yeah, accommodation exactly. is small unless yeah, you're a multi Yeah, we have a very small apartment, so we got it a, a proportionate cat. <laughs> <laughs> in a way, do you think you actually sort of thrive on your, your gayness, as it were, in terms of your career? It's um, not really held you back, has it? No, not at all. I don't know about thrive. Certainly... Publishing is a complicated place, and mm. it has a lot of work to do to really become mm. an accepting community. I mean, okay. there's stats released every year for American publishing in terms of how many books by people of color, by queer people, are published every year. And the numbers are still very, very low. And it has to do with the fact that the people who work in publishing are primarily white women until you get to the very top tiers. And then a lot of them are men suddenly. So surprising. Um, and How unusual. I know. I'm shocked. But it's getting better. And I think that a lot of publishing is really making an effort. But um, there was recently in adult publishing, uh, I don't know if you saw this piece in The New Yorker, but you should read it, this story about essentially a man who, uh, this this straight white man who managed to get really far in the business despite lying incessantly about having cancer, like crazy big lies about people dying. He's a bestseller, his book's a movie and all that. And so much of it seemed to be that he could get away with it because he was a straight white man. 
So just before we end, it might be worth mentioning your book, Jack of Hearts. Yeah. It's, it's aimed at young teenagers, but, I mean, is the hope that it will, will help young LGBT people in terms oh, of coming absolutely. out? absolutely. I mean... I like to say about the book, it's not a coming out book, it's a staying out book. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing to talk about because even after we come out, even after we have these stories, we have other stories about being queer too. Mm. And I think that those stories are important because those are the ones that really, that's our life. And the coming out is like really starting our life. And that's how you how you enter the world almost. And that's why those stories are important. But let's not forget, like, you still got to keep living your life. And it's not like the moment you're out and like you've dealt with the process of coming out. Everything is shits and giggles. Oh, am I allowed to swear? Yeah, oh, actually, oh, okay. yeah, you can swear on podcasts. It's great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, uh, so it's not like everything is shits and giggles and like rainbows and magic after that. There's, you're still living in a straight world, you know? And so, so much of this book was about dealing with that. And it's about the fact that, you know, there's this kid who is out and happy and proud and having sex with a lot of men is still living in a world where people are trying to tell him what kind of gay person he has to be, mm. where all these straight people are telling him, no, 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 that's not the right way to be gay. You have to be gay in a way that looks straight. Mm. And that is the sort of thing that I really wanted to talk about in this book. I, I call it the glass closet. So that could okay. be, yeah, the coming out of the glass closet. The I, the idea that even if, that if you come out and you come out in a liberal place, New York City where the book takes place, a lot like my high school, you'll be surrounded by people who say things like, like, oh, yeah, you know, I love I love gay people. I'm pro-gay marriage. I have no problem with it. But the moment you start doing something that's a little too wrong, I think with men, it's being too effeminate. With women, it's being too butch. Mm. Um, uh, the moment you start wearing glitter, <laughs> all of a sudden, those same people will say something to the effect of, oh, I love gay people. But do they have to be so in your face about it? And that's something that I think we deal with even in New York City, like regularly, like all the damn time. And that is, I think, a straight culture trying to tell us what the right way to be gay is. And that's what I call the glass closet. This idea that if you step outside, all of a sudden, that's when you get shamed again. Yeah, it's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. yeah, we have to own it ourselves, don't we? You can yeah, only be exactly. you the way you want to be you. There is no wrong way to be gay. And finally, if you, I mean, you've got a lot of advice in your book anyway, but yeah. you know, if you're advising a young person or, or someone that's not had the courage or whatever circumstances to be able to come out and they were worried about it, what advice would you give? Well, the, it's in the book. There is a how do I come out oh. uh, letter. And the way that Jack answers it and the way I would answer it as well is essentially like you got to find your own brand. <laughs> you got to figure out like – what is the the out the coming out version of you and like maybe especially teens today like maybe it's a heartfelt Instagram post um, uh, or maybe it is doing it you know kind of the way I did it which is just like one day being like oh my god that guy is so cute um, to your friends and like not expecting a giant reaction and I think real friends people who genuinely love you will give you the reaction that you. Are, uh, that you're asking for mm. in the way you come out. So an Instagram post, people will post something like, oh my God, so proud of you, heart, heart, heart. But if you're just saying, you know, that guy is so cute, maybe your best friend will just like squeeze your hand and be like, yeah, he is. And that... That's it, all you need. Yeah, that th I think you have to think about what you want people's reactions to be. 
and again, this gets to the idea of coming out as this performative thing for straight people. But um, I think that when you're coming out, tell yourself what you want people's ideal reaction to be and tell yourself what the reaction you fear the worst is and then expect Mm -hmm. something in the middle and be prepared for things to change but real friends are going to give you exactly what you need a massive thank you to Lev for chatting to me especially because he's probably the only person that sent me a thank you card uh, for interviewing him bless him and it featured a beautiful unicorn so thank you author Lev A.C. Rosen and I can recommend his latest book as well it's called Jack of Hearts and Other Parts please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from we'd also love to hear from you on Twitter you can find us there at Come Out Stories I'm Emma Goldswell, and Coming Out Stories is a What Goes On media production. Next time, a story that really proves that it's never too late to come out. Naomi is a filmmaker based in Berlin, but she grew up in South Africa and Namibia. She was married to a man for 23 years. Anne has got two grown-up kids and didn't admit even to herself that she was a lesbian until she was 51. I couldn't take my marriage anymore. It wasn't that we had fights or things like that. And my ex even told me, you know what, Naomi, I think you're a lesbian because <laughs> this is not working. We tried everything. I felt guilty because of this whole Christian upbringing. I felt guilty because I'm the woman. I'm supposed to make things work.